0: Hey, Greg. Hey, Andrew.
1: It's December 6, 2017.
0: What you into? Well, I just started reading another uh, China Mieville book, Embassy Town, which is um, a very hard sci-fi about, um, well, the, the, the plot structure is around um, this kind of planet that serves as an embassy to this, very strange alien race that has a very strange language and we humans are trying to communicate with them and facilitate trade with them. And, um, the book, it's very clearly about language and the way that language shapes thought and the way that thought shapes language and how different cultures interact, you know, in that way. But, um, so far there's just a lot of like way out sci-fi things. Um, that are happening and uh, I'm enjoying it very much so far.
1: Cool. Like a sequel to arrival or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually it does have a lot of DNA with arrival in that same. Yeah. So I guess I would, that, that's a very good call out um, that if you like the kind of linguistic parts of arrival and the kind of challenges of communicating with a different race and also the the idea of that intersection between language and thought and how those two shape each other, you'd probably like this. I feel I'm still very much in the setup stages of the book. We haven't gotten into, like, the main action yet, so I'm not sure what's going to be, like, the, you know, kind of the, what drives the plot forward. It's just been like, this is the world. This is, these are the aliens. This is kind of, you know, your typical act one, getting you used to all the characters stuff. Um... But in order to communicate with the aliens, we figure out that we need to have two people who are basically psychically linked speaking, uh, simultaneous, two different things simultaneously. Because the aliens have two vocal organs and speak through, speak through each one simultaneously. So their words are written, um, you can't write them linearly, linearly. They're written on the page like division equations. So you've got things, You know, on your uh numerator line and then a line and then the denominator line. So you might have one of the ambassadors to this name this uh uh this race whose name is Ezra, but Ezra is really two people, Ez and Ra. And Mm. it's it it's it's China medieval, so it's weird. But uh I like weird, so I'm enjoying it. That sounds cool. But I think we don't want to spend too much time on this because there's another thing I've been into this week after we talked pretty uh, extensively about Star Wars a few nights ago. Um, you made good on your threat to uh, talk me through the Star Wars expanded universe. And you loved every now, minute of it. Yes, I did. Um, and now it is has been my turn to make good on my threat to go through my pitch for rebuilding the... Star Wars prequels. Uh, so I spent a lot of time kind of reviewing my old notes and double checking my my work and making sure this stuff lines up the way I want it to. So that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to walk you through how I would envision a better set of Star Wars prequels. Now we kind of did this before with Name of the Wind, but I looked at that as more of a rebuild of kind of building on the concepts and maybe the general story structure of Name of the Wind, this is more of a complete teardown. Because there is nothing good about the prequel movies as we were given them. So this is basically me starting over. And you started out last uh, our last Star Wars conversation talking about how, as a younger man, you discovered the Star Wars extended universe through your family and you have strong uh, emotional connections with that. So I would like to start by talking about how I got introduced to Star Wars and why I feel like the prequels cheated me <laughs> out of the Star Wars universe that I that I loved. Um, I was introduced to Star Wars through a school chum named Chris Ziegler, uh, who lived. Uh, down the street from me back when we lived in Delaware. So all of this is happening sometime between, like, 1989 and 1993, let's say. Somewhere in those realms. Um, Chris's dad loved Star Wars. Um, Chris's dad was, at least as I remember him, kind of your quintessential guy who was clearly a nerd in the 70s. Um, like, they had an Atari and, you know a lot of star star Wars stuff around the house, a lot of models of like world war two airplanes. Um, <laughs> so um,
1: probably had a painted van at some point
0: could be, but I was exposed to star Wars through some old VHS tapes of what was probably the first VHS release of the movies. So in their original form, no special editions, no re- revised scenes, anything like that. And plus a lot of just like, You know, all the other Star Wars paraphernalia, Star Wars toys, like the weird, like, you know, children's book photo storybooks from the movies. Um, And I came into Star Wars in a very much a pre-internet world. So everything you knew about what happened outside of the movies was all based on just like schoolyard rumor and speculation. Um, and my, you know, and you, you heard like, oh no, remember, you know, the, the, the first Star Wars movie is really episode four. So there's going to be an episode one, two, and three, and it's all going to be all about Darth Vader. And, you know, this was before any, you know, there was any talk of actually making the prequels, but it's just, so imagining that based on the information that we got in episodes four five and six, there was a much different picture in my head than what we got. And what we got was a thousand times worse. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I don't want to pick to death what was wrong with the prequel movies. Um, but I look at this exercise as a way of kind of making good on what a younger Greg wanted, what he saw when he, in his mind's eye, when he thought about Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting in the Clone Wars. Now what I'm about to, Detail is clearly the product of a 34-year-old Greg who... So um, it's probably a lot darker and more complex than what younger Greg uh, thought of. But I'm looking this at this as a... That was kind of my first goal going in was like, start with the way I imagined it before the prequels came out. And before I had access to... Um, what was mapped out in the extended universe, because, you know, like you said, the extended universe didn't even really get going until the early nineties, at which point my concept of what star Wars was and what star Wars could become was pretty well locked in. Um, so that's why I'm doing this. And I think it's a good, you know, fun thought exercise. Um, I don't want to get too far into what was wrong with the prequels. Better, smarter men have done that, uh, ad nauseam um i did set out with a list of kind of questions or weird things that um were kind of in my head uh going in um uh so things that you know don't really add up and kind of things i wanted i wanted to answer in my version and these are things that definitely weren't answered in in the original prequels um so the first thing um is and i know that that the reality of this is because georgia lucas didn't really plan on darth vader being luke skywalker's father until after episode four had come out and he decided to kind of you know expand on it just like nobody planned for leia to be luke's sister and then they kind of started adjusting it but i want to have some better in-universe explanations for some things like why did um the emperor refer to luke as quote skywalker's son to Vader in Empire Strikes Back. Like, if if Vader and Palpatine, if Palpatine knows that Vader is Anakin Skywalker and they both know that Luke is his son, that's a weird way to talk to each other, right? And there's a couple other little instances of that. Um, why was Obi-Wan Kenobi, who apparently, you know, was like best buds with Anakin Skywalker... Why was he living like a mile away from Luke, but keeping it a secret about like, you know, that they had any kind of relationship? Um, why does Leia remember her mother, but Luke doesn't remember their mother? Um, also the prequels do a shit, shitty job of explaining this because she dies in childbirth. So neither one should remember, but Leia remembers their mother and she says, I think it's in Return of the Jedi. She says she was very young when Leah was very young when Leia was very young when the mother died. Um, but the mother was very beautiful, kind and sad. So like, she clearly remembers this person and why is that not addressed? Um, where did Palpatine come from? The prequels, uh, he was a Senator and blah, 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 super boring. But the idea that he just shows up out of nowhere with a giant Imperial fleet and that fleet, need some explanation as well you don't build all of that in just the 19 years between um uh revenge of the sith and new hope uh what were the clone wars we hear about that but the clone wars that i was given are garbage it's just jedi's fighting a bunch of half boba fett half Stormtroopers. that's boring as hell and even the you know the phrase Darth Vader killed your father. I want a better explanation for that than Obi-Wan just kind of shrugging it off. Like mm, "Well, we, from a certain point of view, like, I feel like we can do better there. So those are some of the kind of the things I want to solve. Do you have anything to add before I, before I continue in this fool's area? Well,
1: I, you know, I definitely agree with some of your stuff. I mean, I will say that, uh, I'm a little softer on the prequels than you in general. Not that I'm like defending them because they are not good movies, uh, much like our Justice League stuff. It's like mm, there there's no one who can say these are good movies. But um, I, I do think that one thing that I like that I'm hoping you will address is like, yeah, the time differential of like 19 years is not enough to see, like not enough to have happened what happened in that time period in the state of the, ga- of the entire galaxy. Now, I have been soft in my opinion on this, too, because I was like, God, 19 years under Donald Trump, our world might look like that, but like, you know, I have a little more appreciation for time, but just, it doesn't really line up for the state of the galaxy. I do, I sort of liked, I don't want to get too far on a tangent, but I sort of like some of the broader strokes of like the plot outline of some of the prequels. Like I liked that Palpatine grew from within and was just a Senator and a Matt and like just slowly picked away at gaining more and more power and manipulated the system until he was in charge of everything. So I think that's a sort of more realistic way to define something like that in a more complex way. Not that it was executed well, like I said, broad strokes. But uh, but yeah, so I agree with you and I do agree that we shouldn't spend a lot of time saying what's wrong because like you said, plenty of people have done that and I'm sure we can uh, you know, give Plinkett's review if anyone can watch that and that pretty much yes. does it all.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so first I want to talk about some blanket changes that I'm making to Star Wars lore. And kind of my ingoing rules. My ingoing rule is that this is made again based on like um elementary school Greg's view of Star Wars. All that exists are episodes four, five, and six. And for the purposes of this, I'll say seven as well, because I don't think anything I do would is gonna have it would require rewriting seven at all. Um I'm throwing out all of the expanded universe. I'm throwing out all of the comic books, canon or not, all of the video games, canon or not. Um, and to be very specific about a couple things, mainly around the dark side. The first thing is I think star, the Star Wars universe is a much interest, much more interesting place. If the quote unquote dark side of the force isn't dark in the way that evil is dark it's dark in the way that the dark side of the moon is dark. The dark side of the force is the side that is mysterious, unstudied, maybe a little dangerous, but not inherently evil. Um, the Jedi have a very negative view of the dark side of the force because they feel that it leads to corruption, but I don't think that that necessarily has to be true. Um, and also, it makes much more sense for one, you know, thinking character, who is the hero of their own story, to say to another, join me on the dark side, if they're thinking dark side is more just like, oh, on the mysterious occult side of things, as opposed to join me in my reign of evil, because that's not a thing that people do. So that's how we're going to think about the dark side. Um, I'm also throwing out the entire concept of the Sith. I realize that's a big move, but here's the thing. The word Sith is never mentioned in any of the original movies. Apparently, it shows up in, like, the screenplay, um, but it's never actually used. And I think it's kind of dumb that the Jedi Knights have a dark, evil uh counterpart. Because that just—it makes things just a little too cartoony. And, like, the Knights Templar, in our history— didn't have like an evil plotting group on the other side. Like, no, they were just an organization that did their thing. Like, you know, one organization and then another that is directly opposed to it. That's not a thing that happens, right? Like the, you know, the Jedi's goal is peace and love in the universe. And the Sith's goal is like domination and control. Like, no, then that's way too cookie cutter and dumb. And also the rule of two is idiotic. I mean, what sense, if you were trying to be a world universe dominating force, which is kind of what the Sith is, oh, but there can only be two of you, and the only way to ensure that is basically for y'all to murder each other. How does that, how does an organization like that survive past two generations? It just doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't you want to keep all of that collective knowledge and ability around? It's just foolishness. So we're getting rid of that. And also, by the way, we're getting rid of the idea of Darth as some kind of title. And you get, you get the title of Darth when you become a Sith Lord. And then you get your like after Darth name, um, which is stupid. And it doesn't line up with what we see in, um, uh, a new hope. Obi-Wan refers to Darth Vader just as Darth in their duel. He says, you're only a master of evil. Darth, the, that doesn't that works much better if it's just like oh that's his name his name is first name darth last name vader <laughs> it works so much better because also if darth vader is darth is some kind of title for the sith you feel like that would have been a conversation that um obi-wan had with luke like oh he's darth vader darth by the way is means like lord in um in a, in a dead language and blah 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 and also if um Darth was a title, wouldn't all of the other Imperial soldiers refer to Darth Vader as Darth Vader? No, they called him Lord Vader, which is kind of implying that Vader just it's just his name. We don't need titles. We don't need all this nonsense. It's just the name that he adopts. So those are my blanket changes, mainly on the dark side, mainly on the Sith stuff. Um I also, this nonsense about bad guys have red lightsabers and good guys have, that's also stupid bullshit nonsense. When Luke shows up with a green lightsaber, it's like, oh, you made a green one. (laughs) It's just, it's fine. Darth Vader had a red lightsaber because it looked badass against the black outfit.
1: Yeah, pet peeve of mine was that sort of, the prequels reinforcing that. Because, like, you know, in the scanned Universe, Leia had a red lightsaber. And so did lots of other people. Like, it was just a color that you chose because that's what you did. Not, like, inherently evil.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. So, a couple notes on how I want to set up the story and kind of how I'm envisioning my, my central characters. Um, I don't want to do a story about the fall of the Republic. I want to do a story about the rise of the rebellion. Um, because the prequels did a really bad job of making me give a shit about the Republic and the Senate so that when they fell apart, like there was no emotional connection there. I don't care. Um, but if, you know, showing how the rebellion forms, I think is more interesting. Um, and I want it to be a story about war. These movies are called Star Wars, and the element of war needs to be a part of it. Um, if you think about Rogue One, does this very well, but also, you know, the original films, like, you, they're making trench runs, and dudes are getting blown up, and it's war, and war is ugly. And, and I want these stories to be about the way that war can change us. It turns friends into enemies. It brings out the worst in some people. It brings out the best in other people. Um, but I still want to make it an ensemble piece like the original trilogy. This is another place where I think the, the, the current prequels went wrong was they kind of lost the idea of like, it's, you've got Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie and C3PO and R2D2 and they're all playing off each other and they're fun to watch together. Um, and then when you break them up, uh, in Empire, you're like, I need to get the band back together. Um, so I want to keep a focus on on uh four core characters who you know kind of play off of each other and they're a team. Um not just a team that goes out and gets things done, but they're like their personalities interact and they're fun. So anyway, our four main characters are of course Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh if this was a D&D party, he'd be your wizard. He is um he's not a fighter. You're not seeing him get into big Kung Fu lightsaber duels with anybody because that's not the Obi-Wan we see in the later movies. He's more of a plotter and a planner and a little bit of a trickster. Um, We're going to see war turn him into a cunning and cynical um, tactician um, who eventually gets pulled back. Now, the guy that everybody's supposed to care about, Anakin Skywalker, Um, he's your tank in your, uh, RPG party. This is the guy who, um, is a bruiser. He's a brawler. Um, he's he, I mean, if you look at Darth Vader in the original movies, he's huge. He's seven feet tall. Um, and he, uh, and especially the Darth Vader we see in, in Rogue one, he's a force of fucking nature. He just cuts through enemies like butter. um, He's he's charming because when we listen to Darth Vader's voice, like he's kind of an educated upper crust sounding kind of guy, um, but he's very dangerous, um, and he's also kind of a zealot in the Force. Because if you remember, in you know in the original movies, like some of the Imperial officers were kind of challenging the Force and calling it like an old dead religion, and he was like fuck off, and Force choked them for that. Like this is a guy who takes the Force very seriously; it is his religion. Um, and I want him to be a tank for reasons you will see. This is a guy who has no qualms putting himself in harm's way to save the people he cares about. Um, he's the only person I can really envision casting for and it's Tom Hardy. Like think of a big dude who has, who seems, but also seems dangerous, but intelligent and can pull off kind of being a little bit refined. So that's Anakin Skywalker. Next in our D&D party, every D&D party, you've got a wizard, you've got a fighter, uh, you need a rogue, and that's Bail Organa. We've been introduced to this character before. He's first in line for the throne of Alderon. He is cocky and hot-headed and entitled. Um, and he's kind of a little bit of a dick, um, because he's grown up privileged, but he's also very clever. Um and has a way of getting himself into trouble. Um, his arc throughout all of this is going to be redemptive. Um, he's going to find that there's more to, he's going to find a purpose above and beyond just his own kind of um, hedonistic adrenaline junkie pursuits. And our last of the four is, um, And I, I'm not sure about this name. <laughs> I just had to get something on paper. And this is uh, Bale's sister. Princess Lina Organa. She's second in line for the throne. Um, and she is inspiring and compassionate and competent. And when I started writing this, I had not seen Wonder Woman yet, but just imagine Wonder Woman, but she doesn't have the powers. <laughs> she is a beacon of light and hope and goodness. Um, but she's also, in, she's also very, very competent. And her role in this is going to be kind of the leader. She's a born general. she just doesn't know it yet. Um, her arc is much more of a traditional hero's arc. It's all about, you know, she gets the call to adventure, she finds a higher calling um, and discovers her power as a leader and as a source of inspiration. Another thing that I want to I want to make sure that this does is I want us to feel about Alderon, the way we feel about the Shire, in Lord of the Rings, by the end of these movies, because I want when uh, when Tarkin blows up Alderaan in A New Hope, that should hit us as hard as it hits Leia. Um, otherwise, it's just like they blow up her home planet and she, you know, collapses crying, and we're like, all right, I guess they blow up a planet. Um, I want Alderaan to be this kind of idyllic place. It's the place worth saving. It's a it's a place in the galaxy we can really have a connection to. Unlike so much of the action being set on Tatooine, which is a fucking garbage hole. Nobody cares about Tatooine. Um, But I want this universe, this galaxy to seem like something worth saving, worth fighting for. And when you start to see it go downhill, I want you to feel it. Makes sense. All right. Are we ready to start talking about episode one, Defenders of the Republic?
1: Ooh, I like the title.
0: All right. So this is my episode 1. The overall theme is really what I envisioned. This is really the strongest kind of vision of if you took an 8-year-old Greg and asked him to envision what went on before episode 4 and when that, you know, when Obi-Wan's talking to Luke about the adventures he went on with Luke's father, like this is what I'm imagining. It is space knights on a mission to rescue a space prince. So it's almost just a high fantasy type adventure, but it's set in space. Um, and this is, this is really when we see the purest version of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, this is before imperialism and civil war start to tear everything apart. Um, I don't like the idea of like Coruscant, the way we saw it in the prequels, representing kind of the height of, you know, the, the civilization of the galaxy, because it's all neon and chrome and mechanized. I'm envisioning something that's more like, you know, marble palaces and, you know, lush vegetation and beautiful fountains. Um, it just so happens that, um, you know, there are some lasers involved. Um, it's not necessarily a high tech civilization that somehow falls from grace. Um, the planets should look more like high fantasy, almost the way maybe Naboo looked in, um, the original episode one. That makes sense. So that's the setting. It's brighter. It's lavish. It's more high fantasy. It has a little bit more of an innocent traditional feel because it's going to get real dark later. Um, so basically it opens with Obi-Wan and Anakin, they're Jedi Knights, and that just means they're. They're knights, like in the traditional sense. They're not on some great mission of peace and prosperity. They're just, um, they're knights and they are in service to the royal family of Alderaan. We, we meet them as adults. They're confident in their skill set, confident in their powers. Yeah. You know, um, Anakin is maybe technically Obi-Wan's apprentice, but, um, that doesn't mean much at this stage. Like, it's more like, oh, yeah, remember back when I was, when you were my teacher and I was your student. Ha ha ha, those good old days. But we meet them. They are fully formed adults. Um, uh, So they are tasked by that royal family to rescue Prince Bail Organa. He has been essentially kidnapped. This is a guy who's always sneaking out of the palace to go on stupid little adventures of his own. And he finally ran afoul of the wrong people. He's been kidnapped and held for ransom. Um, in order to avoid the embarrassment of this getting out into the public, blah, 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 our heroes have to go out and join them. Uh, Princess Lena decides she's going to because, you know, she wants to get out of the palace and kind of prove herself as, you know, more than just window dressing in the palace. So you've, so now we're set up for a classic kind of space opera adventure. You've got a wizard, a warrior, and a princess, they're out on a quest to go rescue somebody from some vague villains. Um, maybe we set up a little bit of a love triangle, um, with our three leads. Um, Obi-Wan, again, he's a little bit more timid and contemplative. Um, he clearly has feelings for the princess, but she has clear preferences for, um, Anakin, who's more bold and decisive. Um, but what we really see here is that Lena is really kind of, this is her movie. She wants to rescue her brother because it's her brother and she loves him and wants to, you know, wants to get him back to safety. The Jedi are just doing their job. Obviously, they don't want to see anybody get killed. They know there's consequences, but they're, they're just out there doing their duty. Um And Obi-Wan, you know, because he's the more wizardly, scholarly type, he's a little bit more passive a little bit more easily distracted by some such ruin or, or whatever that, you know, Oh, it's from an earlier time. And Oh, they were so much more elegant back then. Cause like we saw in episode four, he's always talking about the past is a more, a more civilized time. He's a little bit, you know, a little bit of a weirdo that way. Um, but Anakin's very brash and reckless and always running off and getting himself into trouble because he has no regard for his own safety. So she's going to kind of balance them, lead them, um, keep them focused. So we finally rescue bail. Um, and we get introduced to this character. We get our scoundrel. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's got this carefree nature cause he's never had to live with any consequences. Um, it's all just a big adventure for him. Um, he's a little bit of that, you know, um, <laughs> uh, rakish buffoon that you know you could imagine a nathan fillion or ryan reynolds playing um who are they rescuing him from uh I'm, I'm guessing initially they rescue him just from some like bandits but then in the process they find out the bandits are working for a bigger bad um and we find out that this big bad is a is actually a dark jedi um who i haven't bothered to name doesn't matter um and this is interesting Instantly interesting to, uh, Obi-Wan and Vader because Obi-Wan is fascinated by the idea of, you know, just learning more about a dark Jedi. Vader's like, well, that's something I can murder, um, with good reason. Um, so they're like, oh no, we're going after this guy now. And the other two are like, sure, fine. Um, so we learn more about our big bad. We know that he is serving someone called Palpatine. We don't, he's not an emperor. He's just basically, again, to use the high fantasy metaphor, he's just some dark wizard off in a tower somewhere. But we have to fight the Black Knight before we can fight the wizard. We find out that Palpatine is a Force user um, who uses the quote-unquote dark side. He's very, very powerful. And his main powers are around, you know, Jedi and Force users can have kind of visions of the future, right? We've seen that. They always have, you know, uh prophetic visions and the emperor was always talking about, you know, I have foreseen it, um, in the, in the movies. So, but this Palpatine, you know, mysterious Palpatine figure has powers of kind of foresight and prescience that is way off the charts. Um, the only weakness we know that is that because Jedi are like steeped in the force or something, his prophetic visions are a little bit more cloudy when it comes to what Jedi do versus what other people do. Um, they're somehow kind of shielded from his prescience. I'm borrowing this ideal f- idea from Dune, by the way. Um, so we finally get to our big confrontation with the big bad in some cool, evil looking ruins somewhere on. Maybe it's all around that all this is happening. Maybe it's some other planet. Who cares? Um, some cool ruins. They learn a little bit from Palpatine beca- about, or about Palpatine because the big bad can monologue like because that's Star Wars are those kinds of movies where the bad guys can talk about their, um, you know, their plot. But basically, um, Anakin and Obi-Wan are basically learning like, holy shit, this sounds like a threat to the galaxy. We need to deal with this. So we this leads up to a big final battle with the big bad. And of course, it's a lightsaber duel and it starts out very high fantasy formal, uh, sword fight, um, lightsaber battle. It's not the big, fancy, jumpy kung fu from the prequels because nobody's ever given me a good explanation for why people fight like that in the prequels, but not in the real movies. (laughs) Um, still, it's, you know, a good sword fight, but it starts out a little bit more, yeah, formal and movie-y and high fantasy-y, but it's gonna, it's gonna start to get going to start to take a turn and get more brutal and we are going to start to see a side of anakin that we've only kind of glimpsed before and that um in the heat of battle this guy maybe goes a little berserker um things start to get dangerous things start to get desperate and in a climactic moment in the um in the battle uh anakin gets his entire right arm cut off um but that's not enough to stop him. This is where we start to see, like, this is a guy that once, once he is driven and once he feels like his friends are threatened, he is, you know, there is nothing that's going to stop him. So his arm is gone. His lightsaber is gone. Um, so he takes his left hand and he just starts choking the big bad just with his bare hand. They're both disarmed. Uh, and he's just choking him out. Uh, so Anakin, and he's, he's surprisingly calm in this moment, but in kind of a scary way, like this isn't a, you know, we realize that maybe this isn't berserker rage. This is maybe just who this guy is. So he's crushing the big bad's windpipe and he's trying to interrogate him. And he's just saying, where is Palpatine? Where is Palpatine? Where is Palpatine? The big bad looks up at him, grins cryptically, says he's everywhere, then croaks. So now of course we've rescued everybody we've learned what we can about the threats of the galaxy we've escalated the stakes and now there's this Palpatine wizard that we have to find um and we'll jump ahead we'll do a big like kind of fancy uh star wipe the way that Star Wars always does to weeks later when when the loose ends have been tied up we see Anakin he's now got a fully cybernetic right arm he's marrying the princess um in in, in Ald- on Alderaan um, but we do see a conversation between her and Obi-Wan, um, and Obi-Wan has got to be this like, you know, because again we've, we've had our love triangle and Obi-Wan clearly, uh, got the raw end of the deal. Um, so this is a painful conversation for him. He's never revealed his feelings. Um, but she tells him that of course she loves Anakin, um, but was a little bit freaked out by what she saw in that last battle. Like that was a side of him that she's really worried about, but she's hoping that now that they're, you know, now that they have a life together, that's going to calm him down. So that's the end of episode one thoughts. So I like it
1: first reactions. I don't love the love triangle idea. I just think it's one of those things that like, we don't need to see again. Mm -hmm. And I also, that was sort of one thing that I liked about, the prequels was I liked Obi-Wan and Padme's sort of relationships. It was just very much like we are a guy and a girl who have mutual respect for one another. We care about another person. But we don't have to have sparks or anything like that. Like not every mixed gender. You know what I mean? Like not every mixed gender. I mean, I, I see what it does for you in your story and that's that's fine. But I feel like maybe if it's not necessary to the whole plot line. Now, I'm not, I haven't seen episodes two and three yet. So maybe it's more critical. So maybe we can get there.
0: But it is. It is going to become um, more of a critical thing um, okay. because um, it's going to help you understand slash wonder about Obi-Wan's motives when we come to the the big climax. Gotcha. So that's a little bit of a tease. Gotcha.
1: Uh, I do agree with you about the lightsaber combat. I think that for me, I thought that where it's sort of a spectrum of A New Hope being the lamest of lightsaber battles <laughs> up to sections of attack of the clones or of the Sith with, you know, Yoda and Sidious Ugh. fighting, you know, like just like CGI craziness, nonsense. I think for me, that sweet spot was actually in the Phantom Menace that the fight scene with Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul wasn't too over flippy and over CGI. And like the right amount of like, these are Jedi Knights at their prime fighting another bad dude. And like, to me, that was like where I think, lights of your combat should have like peaked because that's a really cool scene if you just if if you just cut that part of the movie i just want to watch that over and over again yeah that's sweet
0: i'm kind of with you there there too like it's like it should look impressive and maybe a little bit more impressive than what we saw in um the later movies and maybe you could say well like yeah darth vader doesn't have the skills he did back then just because he hasn't needed them in a long time but also, I don't feel like my version of Anakin Skywalker would let his skills get rusty. It's also sort of um, like
1: it does. He need it because he just like relies more on force powers and just the fact that he can just like through mechanical means and strength just be like, I don't, I only need to hit you once and you're pretty much done. Yeah. You know, so but yeah, but yeah, I I agree
0: with that. And you know, if you know, he's using it. He's been using it ever since the Jedi Purge. Um, he's been using it against just dudes with blasters, like. You know, does, is it even a skill he really thinks he needs to keep up? But anyway, let's move on to episode two. I do want to say one more thing. Oh God. Okay. Um, this
1: is my thought more in general as we we're thinking, cause I'm trying to think of, I was reading, you know, people getting ready for last Jedi and everything. And I was reading some comments on an article. Doesn't matter which article it was, but people were talking about what is star Wars and what's the point of star Wars and what's, you know, and it was funny cause everyone was kind of saying something different. But then someone put it really well that like Star Wars is all of our cultural myths distilled down and pushed into one thing, <laughs> which is kind of how I view it. So I would maybe argue for pirates to be uh instead of bandits. I mean, same thing, I okay, guess. But
0: perfect. Yes. I would I would gladly take space pirates.
1: Because you got, you know, because you just got a little bit of everything. A little
0: bit of samurai
1: and a little bit of civil war and a little bit, you know, it's like, a little bit of everything in there. So I just
0: think we should just shove as much in there as possible. <laughs> all right. Deal. We'll change bandits to pirates. Space all pirates. Right. <laughs> So this is episode two, the clone wars. We had to get there, but I have a much different concept of what a clone war is. Um, so this is the start of the galactic civil war and the, re- and the revelation for us for the first stage of Palpatine's plan. So episode two opens uh, on a gal- galactic scale crisis. So all of a sudden without warning, all across the galaxy, m- militaries are beginning to turn on their civilian populations. Um, almost overnight, 13 planets and systems have basically surrendered to their military in these sudden, unexplained coups. So we as the audience, in every case, we see each one of these coups. Someone in the military, maybe they're already a general, maybe they walk up behind the general and shoot them and take command. We see um, the leader of the coup, and they all look a little similar to each other. So Alderaan, which, as we heard in episode four, is peaceful. They have no weapons. They have no military of their own. Um, so they're kind of immune from this kind of all of these coups that are kind of seemingly coordinated and going on across the galaxy. Um, but they quickly hear about it. Um, that all of these militaries have turned on their populations, but now all of these, you know, these militaries that, you know, kind of staged coups on their respective planets or systems or whatever are now seeming to start to ally with each other. Um, And so then a message is broadcast to everyone else in the galaxy, and we see a hooded figure seated on a throne, flanked by those 13 nearly identical military leaders, all from different, uh, armies within the Republic, all those, you know, all of the, everyone involved in the insurrection. Um, and we realize that Palpatine has infiltrated the, the militaries with clones, clones, uh, 13 clones of himself. This must've started years ago, giving them time to rise through the ranks and develop some kind of, you know, backstory, um, but this is a plan that has been in motion for years um, involving one incredibly powerful psychic force user and 13 clones that are all psychically linked, staging 13 simultaneous coups across the galaxy and simultaneously organizing 13 of the strongest militaries in the galaxy into one. Behold, your new emperor. He is everywhere with 13 perfectly loyal, perfectly coordinated generals. These are your clones. Um, so princess Lena instantly springs into action. Um, holy shit. This is that Palpatine guy we heard about. Um, and she's going to organize whatever militaries are left that aren't under Palpatine's control because now the galaxy is going to war. Um, and now we see more Jedi coming out of the woodwork. You know, most planets have, or most, you know, kind of, Ruling governments have a couple Jedi at their disposal. You know, now they're being called into action together. Um, I don't like the idea of, like, a hundred Jedi running into battle all together, but I also don't like the idea of, like, it's just Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um, And the MacGuffin in the plot is the planet Coruscant. Um, This is where the most advanced armada and the most advanced technology in the galaxy is concentrated. So Palpatine's got... A pretty big armada at his hands, you know, kind of jerry rigged from these other militaries, um, uh, and they're all under his control. But in unless he gets to Coruscant and really gets his hands on the big things, I don't know, like Star Destroyers, um, there's still a chance that, you know, his kind of insurrection can be put down. Um, but if he takes Coruscant, the entire balance of power is going to shift. So we're going to see lots of big space battles with new Jedi and lots of cool alien races coming in to, you know, try and stop this growing threat and to stop them from reaching Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Um, Anakin especially um, is doing his best to, you know, eliminate all 13 of the clone generals because that's really one of the keys there is that they can be much co- more coordinated than any military because they're all like, Cyclic, psychically linked. They're basically the same person. Um, so we're going to be hunting them down and fighting them. And um, uh, we're going to focus in on Anakin versus the 13th general. This is, you know, the galaxy hangs in the balance. This is the last one. The emperors, the the insurrectionist troops are in Coruscant space. And Coruscant is just on the edge of falling to the empire, um, and you find Anakin, he's carved his way through a ship full of bad guys, you know, just shrugging off wounds left and right, um, making his way to the final boss, um, and he finally corners the, uh, the 13th clone general, the final clone general, and he traps himself and the general in an airlock. Uh, his lightsaber is you know lost because this guy doesn't give a shit he just f- focused his, uh, focused on his goal um he's they're fighting hand to hand in an airlock as anakin um again entirely driven uh no regard for his own safety he punches the airlock control the air is draining out of this room uh and he's just basically holding the, <laughs> holding the general in place so that he can die in the airlock um the general dies Obi-Wan catches up just in time to save Anakin's life. He barely survives, but get this, he's never going to breathe on his own again. Aha. So even though they managed to take out the 13th general, they don't save Coruscant. Um, Palpatine now has access to the biggest shipyards in the galaxy. He has access to the center of trade and technology. Um, He is now truly the emperor just as he foresaw in his force visions. So we see a shot that kind of echoes the end of Empire Strikes Back. Um, We see our heroes looking out of a big space window onto a fleet of superstar destroyers just ascending up out of Coruscant's atmosphere um, as our heroes escape in a shuttle. Um, And now we have our star wipe cut to (laughs) later Um, Obi-Wan and Anakin... And Bale are completely despondent. The bad guys have won. He has all of the power now. Um, and the galaxy has also seen this defeat. And who is gonna stand who's gonna stand up against them now? Like the Galaxy's Last Best Hope, you know, Lino Organa and the and the Jedi Knights have failed, they're disgraced. Um, you know, more and more systems are just joining the Empire out of you know, by choice as opposed to, you know, by force. Um, but she kind of rallies them in a rousing speech um, that they, you know, it's no longer about stopping or, and you know, stopping the formation of the empire. Now it's about building a rebellion. And they really need to think about the future because, and she turns to look at Anakin because there's twins on the way. End episode two.
1: I like it. It's interesting you talk about the, I like the, the Palpatine clone idea is really cool. Um, as you learned about last time, Palpatine in the community is <laughs> very interested in cloning. And is also something that uh, is talked about a lot in the books, which is this Jedi skill, or force skill called battle meditation. Have you heard of this before? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's, it says that some people, maybe are not good fighters, but they're good at like helping to subtly coordinate battles, so that mm-hmm. they stick a Jedi on a ship, and they like basically go into a, a trance, more or less, and help kind of like not psychically control people but like nudge people in the right direction and like help make sure that people are getting impressions of what to do or like oh I'm feeling a little scared I should pull back or whatever because I'm being influenced and they say there's in the old EU there was this this was like that Palpatine was a master of this Mm -hmm. and that one of the reasons that because if you watch you know the end battle of Endor they blew up the Death Star, but there's a shit ton of Star Destroyers left. Like, probably could have mopped up the Rebel fleet and ended it anyway. Right. But they said between the obvious disarray that an army would be if you just had your entire space station and leader and everyone's dead, but that basically that Palpatine had been sort of exerting a constant battle meditation on the entire Imperial fleet,
0: hmm. and
1: when he died and that sort of link was broken, it just really put the whole fleet into a disarray they weren't used to. And that's why the rebels were able to sort of like some people fled, some people stayed and fought, some people suicided, like, you know, it just like really drove the whole Imperial fleet almost insane for a little bit. And that's sort of one of like the retcons of why the rebels were able mm-hmm. to still come out victorious about it. So it's interesting how that sort of almost like mirrors your idea a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted to get away from the idea of a clone army mm-hmm. because the idea that Okay, so if cloning technology exists, and the technology to create an army of clones, which means you've also got accelerated aging and some way to, like, program all these guys, why did that technology completely disappear? Right. That that just doesn't that's, – that's crazy to think of that in the 20 to 30 years that pass between um, these two movies that you're going to have um, – That kind of technology, because it's not just like, oh, somebody came up with a slightly faster engine for a ship. Like, oh, maybe that technology gets lost, but the kind of technology where you can create millions of, of adult clones ready to do your bidding, like people are going to protect that technology. It's going to be fine. Um, but if Palpatine, like he managed to create 13 of these things and, oh, by the way, if he made another 13, they'd all be babies. So it's going to be a long time before they're useful um you know that just seemed like it jived more with the world we see in episode four
1: yeah that makes sense in sort of like the old canon the explanation was that uh what was the race called camino caminoans sure uh the long neck things Mm -hmm. from episode two that they were the only ones in the there's two types of cloning there's their like Caminoan cloning and then there's one called sparty cloning which was introduced in the era to the empire like timothy's thrawn trilogy and that camino and cloning was the only stable one and basically at the rise of the empire the caminoans uh rebelled and all that like basically like they fought the last man and that technology was lost so they only were left were sparty cl- cloning which was much faster but really unstable and tended to make people go insane which is what resulted in the clone empire emperor not doing so well and you also aged very rapidly so you would you know because it was a, you, you could get a clone in like three or six months or something like that, but then you would be going through adulthood in like 10 years or whatever. Maybe even less time than that. So very unstable for form. Mm-hmm. That was the old explanation. But yes, I think that your uh, idea works really well. Um, why did you decide on 13? And uh, are you going to like, you're not going to show each of those in the movie, right? Like, like a montage of them getting taken <laughs> out know. or what?
0: I mean, 13 sounds like an evil number yeah i guess I mean, this,
1: I, my only concern would be like in a galaxy of like i mean i guess maybe your galaxy doesn't feel this way but like hundreds of systems potentially like 13 doesn't seem like a lot but sure um but if you i think if you make them like really crucial like not as a, like obviously coruscant's the, the prize gem here which i like right that, but maybe make them like oh they are the ones the other with other shipyards and really strong military so right. they can very quickly subjugate other systems and then they quickly have carved out most of the galaxy it's the it's
0: it's the 13 biggest and baddest fleets essentially and and again totally made up number i just felt like 13 yeah, yeah i mean it, you know in the old movies they did order 66 which just sounds sinister and evil and you know as much as i said like i want to get rid of like the dark side like does evil shit just for the sake of evil i was like nah, 13 clones this seems right but no again if, if somebody if somebody came to me and said like we're we're making this movie and 13 is the wrong number i'd be like fine <laughs> fair enough um all right. Should we talk about uh, episode three? Yes. This is episode three, the galactic empire. And if, um, if episode one was our kind of high fantasy tale, episode two is more of like our war movie. Episode three is our sci-fi spy thriller. So this takes place two years later. We see Luke and Leia as toddlers. Um the new empire has had time to, you know, subjugate the galaxy. Uh, but the rebellion has had some time to gain some steam, have some wins, have some setbacks. But um we see when we look at Obi-Wan that he has really lost all of his faith. Um, he's defeated. He's despondent. He's starting to draw inward. Remember, he's kind of scholarly, kind of introverted. And he's really unsure that the rebellion can succeed At all. He's just seen too much go wrong, not only in the rebellion, but also just in his, you know, in his own life. Remember, he has spent the last two years watching um, the woman he loved and his best friend have a happy family life. And he is alone um, and feels like a failure. You know, they've they've tried to stop this stuff, but it just hasn't worked. Um, When we see Anakin, he's more battle scarred. He's more driven. He's that almost suicidal drive towards victory is there. Clearly his time in a family hasn't softened him much. Um, and again, contrary to the other prequels, I'm having him gather his kind of stigmata of Darth Vader um, in pieces. So he's already lost an arm and he's got the breathing thing. And maybe now he's got a metal foot. I don't know. Um, Bale, um, even though I didn't have much for him to do in the last one, He's matured into a, into a cunning and calm. He's a politician now. He's a schmoozer. He's the guy who is talking people into joining the cause. He's pulling strings. He's calling in favors. He's not the carefree guy we saw before. The only person who really kind of remains unchanged is Princess Lena. She is still steadfast, inspiring. She's the secret leader of the rebellion Um because despite the failure despite the the daily shit show of what's going on in the galaxy for a lot of people she is still this beacon of hope so in the first act we're going to see our you know ragtag gang um try to infiltrate palpatine's stronghold but fail um palpatine is too well prepared he's surrounded by you know by powerful guards and he just he has that uncanny ability to just kind of see what's going to happen next. So Obi-Wan cooks up a plan. The only hope that Obi-Wan sees of getting close to somebody who is so well-guarded, um, so much of a master strategist, and a guy who can kind of see the future under most circumstances, um, is they need to install a sleeper agent as close to Palpatine as they can. Um, just the same way that Palpatine infiltrated those galactic militaries with his own sleeper agents. And since, ever since Anakin killed the big bad back in episode one, Palpatine has needed a right hand man. Uh, ideally someone with force powers and maybe Jedi training. Does that sound like anyone we know? Maybe. <laughs> so of course, Anakin volunteers for this. Um, but. Obi-Wan makes clear in order to f- for the, for the ruse to work. Cause remember, Palpatine has significant telepathic abilities. Anakin has to, he can't be Anakin Skywalker. If Palpatine reaches into his mind and sees a hint of betrayal, the whole thing's gone. And not only does this plan no longer work, but the rebellion loses its strongest, um, you know, it, it, its most powerful fighter, essentially. Um, so they're going to have to, come up with a new personality for Anakin and he and and, and Anakin is going to have to completely submerge his old personality. This new personality is named Darth Vader. Um so Obi-Wan is going to use his force powers to help Anakin sever all of his ties to his existing life and install essentially a trigger to wake Anakin up at the right moment so that he can then essentially assassinate the Emperor from within. So Lena knows that there's only one thing that could pull Anakin out of this kind of (laughs) uh, deep, deep, deep Jedi mind trick um, and, you know, take him out of the Darth Vader persona and bring back the Anakin persona, and that is the sight of his son, Luke. So the plan is we're going to do a super-duper Jedi mind trick on Anakin to, you know, create the Darth Vader persona, and then at just the right moment, we're going to use Luke as a trigger in order to um, snap him out of it so he can assassinate the Emperor. So now we have a tearful goodbye between Anakin and his children and his wife, knowing that it will be decades, could be decades, before he sees them again, if at all. But this is a guy who has never been one To put himself first, he has always you know, done the suicidal charge into battle for something that he knows is right, something that he knows is going to protect the ones he loves. So he makes that sacrifice. He sacrifices his family and his entire personality in order to save the galaxy from the Emperor. So this is the big, this is the climactic scene. This is the ultimate Jedi mind trick. And keep in mind, we know that Obi-Wan is jealous of Anakin's family. So... Even though this sounds like a good plan, we're wondering exactly what Obi-Wan's motives are here. This is kind of convenient for him. So this is the, this is the climactic scene. So Obi-Wan's using the Jedi mind trick. He's wiping out his best friend's memories of his wife and children and family, the only bright things in his life. And he is using his powers to take those things away from his best friend. So I've kind of scripted out this, this, how this scene's going to go. So. Obi-Wan says, your name is Darth Vader, the man who killed Anakin Skywalker, and you live to serve the Empire. And he does the little hand wave. And then Anakin repeats that back. And we, see, we can see on his face and we can see in his eyes that just like those troopers outside the cantina, he believes it. Obi-Wan says, you serve the Empire because the rebels took your family from you. Waves his hand. Now we cut back to Anakin's face, really tight zoom on his face, on his eyes. And he says, I live to serve the empire because the rebels took my family from me. We zoom out. We see that he is, as he's, as we see him saying this, he's kneeling in front of the emperor who laughs wickedly. Now we have seen that Anakin Skywalker is no more. And he, the emperor, emperor has accepted him as, uh, as his right hand man. And somehow we've also worked in the fake death of Anakin Skywalker here. Um, the emperor doesn't think he's getting, you know, a corrupted Anakin Skywalker. He thinks he's just getting this dark Jedi named Darth Vader. Fast forward to a couple months later. Um, now we see Darth Vader, not Anakin Skywalker, but Darth Vader. He's not in his full, you know, you know, evil space wizard garb that we see him in episode four, but he's definitely more transitioned. He's got the cape. He's got the, you know, maybe part of the mask, um, but he is just tearing through a rebel base, just like we saw him at the end of rogue one, just an absolute force of nature. Um, and, and not according to plan, Obi-Wan and Lena and the kids happen to be at this base. This is not the way things were supposed to go, but they're at least keeping a couple steps ahead of him so that he's not seeing them. And he's not maybe accidentally getting triggered by Luke a little too early. Um, Obi-Wan peels off from the group because he's going to try to slow Vader down. Um, they have one final quick kind of duel. We know that Obi-Wan's not going to last very long. He managed, but we also see just to make absolutely sure that there is zero Anakin left in Vader. Um, Obi-Wan uses a little, a little bit of force trickery to escape. Um, and he gets onto a shuttle, an escape shuttle with Lena and the twins. Um, So now we see Vader, he's, you know, standing next to some kind of, maybe he's back on a ship, doesn't matter. Um, this escape shuttle is, is off into the atmosphere and Vader orders it shut down, shot down. Um, but whatever, you know, Imperial goon who's kind of manning the gun, he hesitates and he says, Lord Vader, uh, the scanners indicate there are children aboard that shuttle. Vader doesn't even flinch, just executes that trooper, pushes the fire button on his own. Um, so, cut to aboard the shuttle, Lena and Obi-Wan, they feel the impact. The ship is starting to break up. Obi-Wan has completely lost it at this point. His plan is falling apart. There is no hope. Uh, that he has literally created a monster. Um, his whole plan of, oh, we'll keep the kids in hiding and, you know, they won't find them and it'll be fine and it's all going to work, that's all falling apart. He's losing it. Um, but Lena, she's she's our, our beacon of hope. She pulls them together and assures him that the plan is still going to work. Once Vader sees Luke, he'll be Anakin again. Um, Obi-Wan, you know, complete pessimist at this point. He says, "But well, but he'll find you. You're the princess of Alderaan. You're the leader of the rebellion. He's going to find you. She turns and looks at him. He says, he, but he won't find you. She shoves Luke into his arms, shoves them both into an escape pod, and sets the coordinates for the furthest, most obscure backwater planet she can find, Tatooine. Through the glass on the escape pod, he's, he has no idea what's going on anymore. He thought he was the brilliant tactician. He's got nothing. And he says, you know, but how will I know when it's time? How will I know when it's time to, you know, activate the rest of the plant? She says, don't worry. I'll send you a signal. Um, the, sh- the shuttle's about to leave. The countdown is, is reaching the final moments. He's in tears. He's panicked. He's a Jedi. He's not a parent. He can't, he can't. You know, he can't manage this kid. He's just some scholarly nerd. He's not a spy. He can't, uh, be a speaker agent. What's the signal? And she looks back at him and says, you're my only hope. Two pods leave the shuttle. It is, it, it explodes. One pod heads to Alderaan. One heads to Tatooine. So now we're in our final, our final kind of denouement scene. Lena and Leia arrive on Alderaan. She tells Bale that they have to pretend that Luke and Obi-Wan were killed. Uh, Their plan depends on the galaxy, forgetting about Luke Skywalker entirely. Obi-Wan arrives on Tatooine, completely despondent. He's got this crying two-year-old with him who's confused and panicked. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, in his final act of cowardice and desperation, he does one last Jedi mind trick. He whispers the word forget to Luke, who instantly calms down. And he leaves this poor amnesiac orphan on the doorstep of some moisture farming dirt hillbillies um, before wandering off into the desert as the twin sons of Tatooine set behind him. End of episode three.
1: So you're leaving it vague when Lena dies.
0: Yep. Happens sometime, happened sometime between these two. Old enough for, for Leia to remember her a little bit, uh, but we don't actually see it happen. Gotcha. Interesting.
1: Dark. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> told going. you I was gonna told you I was gonna get there. Uh I like it, but I don't I don't know. Like it's hard for me to match that Obi-Wan up with the Obi-Wan we see in the films for me, because okay
0: So so here I agree. And and that was kind of my intention because I think if you have Obi-Wan kind of, you know, at his lowest point at the end, his him bringing Luke to Vader in episode four and finally like getting it together and protecting Luke and kind of rising to the occasion to be Luke, to really step up and be Luke's mentor now and to, you know, kind of finally put this plan into action. Um, like that's a, that, that's his redemption that, you know, gives him. And it explains like, man, he was a really shitty Jedi for 20 years while Luke was just, you know, goofing off on Tatooine, you know, Um, and all of a sudden he just, he gets this message. He's like, well, I guess we gotta go to the Death Star now. Um, you know, he, you know, he, he comes out of this state, you know, this state of uncertainty and inaction and regret and grief to finally make good on the plan at the end.
1: Okay. So how, how, how did the mechanics of the plan work? Like, cause Vader sees Luke, but it takes a while for the spell to wear off or what, is that what you're sort of insinuating or?
0: So I haven't had time to like really, but I'm pretty sure that Vader doesn't really get a good look at Luke in episode four.
1: Only from a distance across the desk. Right, Yeah. right. It's just
0: some kid in karate pajamas running around. Right. <laughs> um, it's not until episode five where Vader kind of starts to realize who this person is um, and really the confrontation on Bespin when they really have some face-to-face time. And you can figure that's when the spell is starting to completely wear off for Vader. Um, and he recognizes Luke as his son. Um, now we can, but now we can question a lot of Vader's actions throughout episodes five and six. And how much of it is, you know, Vader maybe being a double agent and thinking, you know, maybe I should bring Luke to the Emperor because Luke seems like he's got his shit together. And, you know, Maybe even if I can't bring myself to kill the Emperor, maybe Luke can do it, you know? Um, and I think that this idea of Vader as double agent works throughout the plot of most of the rest of the, uh, movies. Um, and I, I feel like you could, you could say, oh, well, it, you know, from the first contact, it took some time for the Jedi mind trick to wear off, for the Anakin personality to really finally emerge. I think he shows some doubt there at the end of, uh, Return of the Jedi before he finally ices the Emperor but you know if he's been living with this mind control for 20 years um, it might take some time to wear off entirely
1: hmm. you know I I don't
0: like <laughs> you don't like you don't like the is double agent
1: I don't like I actually the more I think about it I don't like it's an interesting idea but I don't like and I don't want to like poop on your parade but I like the first two movies I was all about hundred percent in, but I think that for me, at least when people talk, I was trying to think about this whole time. That's why I said earlier, like what is star Wars? What's the, what are the motifs and of star Wars is that I don't like, I think that Anakin's fall. And I know you're trying to line it up with like the death and that kind of stuff, but that doesn't really bother me. Cause I think that if we keep the Obi-Wan that you created, he would say shit like that. And like even and especially maybe even try and deflect a little guilt from himself. But I think that this diminishes like that scene in Return of the Jedi at the end is just so powerful when you're seeing Vader look back and forth as his son is being tortured and you know dying. And I think that ne- that needs to be a choice by him that mm-hmm. he made out of his own free will, as opposed to a spell wearing off. Do you understand where I'm coming from?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That being said, I think the idea is really clever and like interesting and like, cool. Like it makes for a fun story. But I think for what, I think that it diminishes that redemption arc that is what, huh, yeah, who cares about this? But I think what George Lucas was really trying to do <laughs> was like, I, I say that and I like want to shoot myself, but that's what, to me, that's what it's about. It's about the power of, God, oh, it sounds so cheesy, but like the power of love and family and, you know, that anyone can be, they come back from the brink and make a choice to correct mistakes, no matter how, how
0: terrible so I think that maybe – I mean, I think you could – I think we could we could finagle that a little bit because I think if you can – I think that if you set up that – if you set up enough of a kind of descent for Anakin um, over the course of the three movies where he goes from being more, you know, of an idealistic kind of person to being someone who is just almost completely consumed by the mission and the battle – and you know maybe even have some you know have some moments where we the audience and the characters around him start to wonder like hey maybe this guy just loves to fight and he doesn't really care what side he's on and his willingness to engage in this and maybe that you know the Darth Vader persona isn't necessarily something that um they can you know they completely construct out of whole cloth like that's Anakin's um that's his bloodlust and his kind of you know berserker nature um his ruthless nature you know just brought to the front they're just you know turning him into darth vader with the jedi mind trick isn't putting anything in that wasn't already there it's really just taking out the you know the more restrained parts of his personality um so you know so that when the time comes you know maybe he kind of likes being darth vader better because it's the power and the control that he always wanted um and maybe if we, and I tried to do this in earlier drafts, like I even had a draft early on where, um, basically between the empire and the Republic, like setting up, like there's not a clear good guy and bad guy. And Anakin just decides to join the empire. Cause that's what makes sense for him. And he ends up on the other side, kind of, you know, almost like a, you know, civil war film where, you know, you got brother versus brother and mm-hmm. they just happen to be, and that's just where he ends up. But, um, I felt like, but then it felt more like just like a weird political choice. And then you're making arguments for why the empire is better than the republic. And that just didn't really, you know, I like, I think it works if the politics are black and white, but maybe the morality is a little more gray. So, um, note taken. I think that there is a way to pay off more on the emotional choice he makes at the end. And I think that if we set up earlier on that, he kind of that by becoming darth vader in a way he's kind of getting what he wants a little bit in the way that in in breaking bad when we see walter white kind of really become heisenberg we realize that he this is kind of the person he wants to be that there's a part of him that wants it this way and i think that um we can kind of set that up a little bit more
1: yeah i think that there's something i think somewhere in that in the the third movie there's a way to adjust it so and maybe not even necessarily cut this the whole spell different persona thing but just do something there because i think that i think by the time we get to at least episode five like maybe like maybe maybe the spell works and he sees luke and snaps out of it but doesn't we can't go back and change those movies so you have to uh, you have to make it finagle in a certain way Where like to me the vader we see in episode six hates himself yes And I think Darth Vader should hate himself. And that's one thing I think that even though it was executed terribly, the idea that like he is just he hates his body, he hates his life, he hates what he's done. And that's what drives him to this rage and, you know, the berserker rage that you're talking about. And I think that, like I said, that's what builds up to that, you know, when when Luke and Vader are are on Endor and he's picking him up. And he says, you know, it's too late for me, son. Like that is, that's a crushing line, right? And yeah. like, it should be crushing and makes that choice, you know? So yeah, and I I, I think there's something there to be done. I think the, the build up to what your ideas are making, like the first, you know, all the characters and, you know, the the scheme, the Clone Wars, I think all that's great. I think something with the transition from Anakin to Vader would would be reworked and I think I think it'd be I think it'd be perfect then literally perfect
0: <laughs> literally not a, not a not a shred <laughs> not a of thing it wrong. <laughs> no, not a thing wrong no I do realize there are some plot holes that I have not resolved and I'm I thank you for not pointing them out and making me defend them live on the mic um no I I think that's a good point I think that I think you're exactly right that we don't want to cheapen the journey he goes on uh Vader goes on in episodes um five and six um my goal would be to add context to the journey that he Mm -hmm. goes on so that um, we can kind of see where he's at. Um, You know, the end goal would be that by that, the prequels would, you could watch the prequels and you could go back and watch episodes four, five, and six in a completely different light. Right. Or maybe not in a completely different light, but like you could understand why a character did this or, you know, it, it adds more emotional weight to a scene. Um, you know that like obi-wan realizing that the best thing he ever did was to was to get luke onto the death star you know like um you know in that moment when he basically like surrenders his life to darth vader it's less because oh it's because now i want to be a force ghost because that's going to make me more powerful it's more like this is a tired old man mission complete um that's
1: always one of the things that stands out as like why did he do that like even when even if you were just watching the fourth movie by yourself with no context or anything else in 1977, I'd have been like, "Why did that guy just let that guy kill him? Like, this doesn't make any sense." Like, right. he says, "I'll become more powerful," but like, being like an intangible ghost isn't that powerful.
0: Well, like- yeah, but really not. You just like show up and remind <laughs> remind Luke about the Force. Like, that's not that right. helpful. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so I think giving more giving more build up and context to a couple of those things, I think was definitely because yeah.
0: I think I think in my. In my description, I, I, I think I did a, I think I focused more on the physical transformation that he goes through and making that a more gradual physical transformation yeah. into the Darth Vader we know. But I don't think I did a, a good job of surfacing his emotional transformation. Um, how it maybe seems like in that, in this, in this draft, like it all happens during the mind trick scene. But I think that, you know, I think that just needs to be the final tipping point. Um,
1: and maybe make it so it's not so like maybe the mechanic you use is like if you don't believe it, the emperor will see you coming. But don't have it be based on seeing Luke. Have it be more based on like a certain amount of time. So and if- then and then you don't like for, he doesn't forget. I don't know some some change a little bit of the mechanics of how like the spell works. And then I think you could end up at the same result of like Anakin is dead, Darth Vader's there, but he hates himself because he still has a hints of memories of what it used to be and can ever escape those or something i'm not sure exactly how you yeah do it, but
0: the only way that and, and basically the reason i had luke be the trigger was because if luke and leia are twins like why doesn't vader recognize leia as his daughter but he recognizes luke as his son and i think if you could if if you can so that's why i settled on that like oh that, that's what they installed as the trigger and that's why obi-wan like weirdly you know brings luke who he knows is the sister of or the brother of this um uh of the 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 captured princess you know brings him to the death star like that seems hugely irresponsible unless it's intentional yeah because if, if he gets the message of help me want help me obi-wan you're kenobi you're my only hope and he's like we probably i probably should help help her because i know who she is and wh- why this is all happening maybe it's not a good idea to put her and luke in the same place um why not just hire some mercenaries you know jedi mind tricks some you know some guys from the cantina to go rescue her but he brings luke intentionally and i think if he has the motive of if i can get luke in front of vader it'll activate the plan um that kind of explains that choice a little more
1: but wouldn't the plan and i hope this isn't one of the plot holes that i'm not supposed to point out Uh, but wouldn't the plan of showing him there like he, you know, Darth Vader snaps out of it. He's Anakin Skywalker again, but he's still not with the emperor. So but I guess he's a whole death star at his control. So yeah, well, and you
0: have to figure like, Obi-Wan figures like, I don't, you know, I don't know how every single beat of this is going to work out. Yeah. You know, but this is my only opportunity. This is my opportunity yeah. to, 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 you know, to, to try and activate Anakin again. Um, maybe he'll be close enough to the emperor. Maybe he won't, maybe it won't matter. Um, also, he's the, then he's on the planet killing space stations. Oh, probably fine, but yeah. So just trying to connect a few dots without doing the connecting every dot the way the original prequels did. Like, right. I notice how C-3PO is not in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Jabba the Hutt's cousin doesn't show up. <laughs> Brand um, Solo doesn't make an appearance.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. And I think that, you know, it's, you know, people have in the old, you know, there's retcons for every little thing. It doesn't quite make sense, you know, like, Oh, Leia's not remembering her birth mother. She's remembering her adopted you know, mother, adopted mother, whatever, you know, and it's like, that's kind of like, that defeats the purpose of them even talking about it. But, but yeah, so I get what you're going for. I, uh, I just don't want to, I don't want to, um, pull, like I said, don't want to pull away from, or, or diminish that transition from Darth Vader to redemption at the end. That's fair. So, but, That being said, I really like the overall goals and ideas you have. I think they're good. I think it leaves a lot of space for the fun, goofy parts of Star Wars. You know, exotic locations and fun starships and space battles and crazy aliens that we, you know. Because, like, people forget sometimes that, yeah, Lucas went off the rails with this shit in the prequels. But all those things are really, to me at least, part of the essence of Star Wars. Like, these extreme planets and like, yeah, they're a little singular. It's like, this is the desert planet, and you could spice that up a little bit more, hopefully. And but like, you know, every movie they have some sort of encounter with a crazy space monster, if not multiple encounters with crazy space monsters and things. And it's like those are part of Star Wars. You know, we they're not crucial to the plot, so we don't think about them off the top of our head. But like, you know, the um, the space compactor monster, um, you know, the Tuscan Raiders, the Wampa sarlacc you know like the like ewoks like these things are integral to these movies some of the way these movies feel to me at least Mm -hmm. and i think what you have about having these sort of like sort of space adventures you know in the high fantasy and then the space like it leaves a lot of space for that to occur to have this stuff happen Mm -hmm. but not have it be just like a cgi mess
0: (laughs) yeah well yeah uh, if i was oh and by the way the way i would um (laughs) the way i would uh the way i would Retcon this in universe is that um, I would just have the the original prequels is that's Obi-Wan's version of the story that he's been telling people. but that's not how it really happened.
1: Got it. That's what people always talk about with him. Do you ever watch the uh, the clo- like the Clone Wars little like mini serials that mm-hmm. were made by the guy who made Samurai Jack? Nope, they're actually really cool. Cause the guy who makes Samurai Jack is awesome. And it's super exaggerated and crazy and wild. And it doesn't really make sense. Especially when the later Clone Wars cartoon show came out, I was like, well, this doesn't fit with any of this stuff. And people said it was actually like propaganda film. Like we kind of feel, like basically like propaganda films that like people showed on the, on the news of like what Mace Winu's up to. Cause they literally have Mace Windu basically take out an entire multiple tens of thousands army of battle droids by himself. And it's like, that's ridiculous, but it'd be something that would be good at the movies, you know, kind of like, nazi era like you know
0: yeah this is the official propaganda s- film. this is the official story right uh,
1: that's clever so well, greg i appreciate this uh this rundown in a different different universe one of the parallel timelines this is the movies that were made and things were a lot better for it it is it is a shame you know speaking more broadly that there's i mean if they were really wanted to be ballsy they could but they didn't. And now star Wars that it continues in the future must forever live with the weight of the prequels on its shoulders, you know, at least for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, part of my little, my goal was to write this head in a way that hopefully I can still like, I'm just going to commit to memory that like, no, this is the way it went. This is, the, <laughs> this is, this is, this is the way it is in my head. Just like in my head, uh, everybody in Metallica died in that bus crash <laughs> and they haven't That's made fair. an album since Master of Puppets. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, this is, and, and, and I, I made this in such a way that if this is my head canon, mm-hmm. it can't really be contradicted by the next batch of movies. I mean, I'm sure Unless eventually it will something be crazy. Um, would you keep Rogue One in your canon? I, th- I think Rogue One fits. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I think that, that Rogue One can slot in there, you know, very easily. Um, you know, the, the Rebellion's in disarray, and that's because, you know, Lino Organa died, you know, 15 years ago, and, you know, so that was long enough ago that nobody's gonna be saying, like, oh, the Rebellion's in disarray because so-and-so died. Like, it wouldn't be a topic of conversation, it would just be like, yeah, we're kind of a crappy rebellion until we so rally around right.
1: the Death Star plans. I don't mean to get caught up in this again, but we <laughs> gotta wrap this up. But what if... This is a little cliche, but, and it doesn't help the problem of why did Obi Wan bring Luke? Maybe you could. You could probably finagle something there, but what if, in that sort of climactic scene, what if Vader, Anakin, as Vader under the spell, it all goes to shit and he comes in, see, kills Lena, and then sees Luke, but because of the emotional trauma, it like only partially works and yeah. he flees and then obi-wan's plan is well maybe if i can show him again you know like something like that i don't know could work because that would also help to bring the whole like why would anakin if he's a good guy and we're showing him he's a pretty good guy and you know maybe has some a little bit of a a dark side if you will to (laughs) him um but like why he would stay as you know darth vader and like make that choice because he can't live with himself any other way and like or maybe like Obi-Wan's too strong and he's like a dual personality thing. And I don't, I don't know, something like something that you could do that. I think there's something you can do with your idea to make it fit and not diminish the end of it. Yeah. I, I think there. there's
0: something in there. I, I I think if, you know, you know, if that's my only note on essentially treatments for three movies, I'm happy. <laughs> you know what this, like, I
1: haven't really done this exercise before cause I don't like do creative writing and, and I write, I make D and campaigns sometimes, but like, that's a whole different story. But like, it makes you wonder how shitty movies get made. Like we're not that smart of dudes, right? Like what and we're we just you, I mean you you've put some work into this, but now we're just spitballing and we're already getting towards, you know, better ideas and like, well, you know, avoiding plot holes and things. And it's just like, God, what are other people doing?
0: <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I bet you if we got out the microscope, there would be uh there there might be some some irreparable plot holes in here that require some rewriting. Um there's also some things like I'll freely admit, like the second movie Like there's not a lot there and there's nothing for Bale to do. There's very little for Bale to do in, in all three. Um, he needs more to do. And by giving him more to do, does that somehow create other problems or, um, and then there's always the problem that, you know, this is great when it's just you and I, but we don't have studio people saying, well, this needs more, you know, you know, there's no merchandising potential in this one. So it needs more ships and it needs more planets and, blah 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 and they need to f- f- finagle that stuff in um yeah and I guess also that's my,
1: that's my point that's my point about like you for you like i said this leaves room for the star warsy stuff like i don't know i feel this, like
0: but this but also like you know and i feel like they're course correcting a little bit but you know the business idea is that star wars is a family you know movies especially the, the prequels lean too hard into being movies for kids but you know um you know, my big climactic scene where, um, you know, uh, Obi-Wan uses magic to, you know, essentially, uh, psychically murder Anakin's family and completely remove them from his memory. Like, that's pretty grim. That's probably not getting, you know, that people are going to say, that's not in a movie for kids. That's a, you know, you know, that's a, that's more of a grown-up. Those are more grown-up themes. And that's, you know, um, so then
1: i I just had another thought uh uh-huh if we go with the potential idea of anakin murdering his wife and then the spell breaks and he sees obi-wan there he blames him because it's he he put the spell on him and didn't set it right or let this happen and also he still he knows that deep down that obi-wan has some feelings And maybe this is all a plot just to get him out of the, I don't know. There could be like to kind of beef up that like rivalry and hatred and also explain why he turns his back on everything. I don't know.
0: Yeah. mm, You know, or something like Obi-Wan only gets the mind trick in halfway and it doesn't fully, and he has to like kind of complete it there at the end. And like we get Anakin flashes back into being Anakin for a minute and then like realizes everything that's happening and, and decides he doesn't like this anymore. But then Obi-Wan like, Hits him with the grenade that makes the thing happen. I don't, you know, and then he's like, no, 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 don't send me back. Don't send me back. No. Yeah. You know, something like that. That could be extra grim. So super grim. You're adding extra grimness, you're always going to get check mark from me. <laughs> give, give one last chance for redemption and then have him like, nope, sorry. You still have to be Darth Vader for another 20 years. Yeah. Oh, that would be extra grim. Yeah. Alright. I feel like we've got anyway. we've got the skeleton of a good idea here, but anyway, this is my headcanon. When I think of what happened before episode four, this is what I think about. I look at the I the prequel movies as they exist are non-canon in my head, and this is my version.
1: I like it, and hopefully we'll have some listeners write in with some ideas and, and critiques and maybe they have some own own headcanons of their own and be, be fun to like, uh, you know, collate a bunch of different uh, you know, or collect a bunch of different Star Wars prequel ideas and yeah. lay
0: them out and see and, what sticks. And while we're at it, I please don't point out plot holes. I know there's <laughs> going to be plot holes. Look, <laughs> I, I I write these things like half an hour at a time, <laughs> you know, weeks apart from each other. I know it's not completely thought out. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear things like, "Well, well, the uh, you know, how is it that um you know the Emperor who's psychically connected all those things don't recognize." Anakin, who killed a bunch of the clones, doesn't recognize him standing right there when he's swearing his allegiance to the Emperor as Darth Vader. Like, I know. I know that's a little weak. I'll get there. (laughs) I don't want to hear about it from you.
1: I mean, all I got to say is you guys shouldn't do that, but Greg would totally do it to you, so you should do that. All
0: right, guy. Well, I think that wraps it up for us this week, huh? Yep. And we get to see Star Wars soon. Oh, man. Yeah. We're nine days away. Do you have your tickets?
1: No, I, movie past life, man, I can't buy tickets ahead of oh, time. right, yeah. I, I have, just gotta go on the fly.
0: <laughs> it overlaps with the, uh, with, um, Karen's family's, uh, Christmas party weekend, so I have to kind of, uh, I have to do some logistical, uh, planning to figure out how I'm gonna see this movie, but, uh, I'm gonna see this movie so that you and I can record reactions to it and get them posted in a reasonable amount of time, um, but also because I really want to see this movie and don't want to hear about the plot on facebook the next day (laughs) fair very fair all right guy have a good week you too